Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. If everyone loves pizza, why are all your favorite mom-and-pop pizza joints disappearing? Maybe the big convenience apps are part of this reason why on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. Tuning in to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. And today, my guest seat is occupied by Ilar Sala, who has created a pizza delivery app, which... Yeah. Many would probably think is one of the greatest inventions of all time, second only to the invention of pizza. <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah, it's been it's definitely been a fun uh, a fun journey, and I'm excited to share our story with uh, with the listeners. So we're going to talk about pizza app in the backyard of the Roberta's Pizza Restaurant. So it's a very meme on meme show today. But we are going to start the show like we start every show, talking about apps. And the only rule is you cannot talk about an app that you own invented or invest in, but it can be a new one that you recently discovered and loved. It can be an old favorite that's been living on your home screen for the past 10 years. Today, we'll kick it off by our engineer for the day, Vitor Hirsch. Good morning. Hi. Morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited about this show. I, I know that I repeat myself at the beginning of every show and say, I'm so excited to talk to the amazing guests, but I, I truly feel that way. Exciting. It is. Yep. <laughs> Do you have an app for us today that you like? Yeah. Um, so this is this one's for uh, musicians. Uh, I'm a drummer, but I, I like didn't to know p- you were a drummer. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm mostly a sound engineer, so I don't. There are so many good musicians in New York that I just say I'm a sound engineer. But um, I I also play the guitar, and uh, I like jamming with like apps that play along with you. And there's this cool app. I mean, any jazz musician knows the real book, which has all the, you know, the the music uh, parts for jazz standards. And it's a massive book, a pretty famous and old book. And uh, they have an app called iReelB, which basically it has the chord progressions for you. So it plays along with you and it has different instruments, too. So, for example, if you're a drummer, you can mute the drum track and play along with the guitar and the piano and the bass. It's basically, I think, four instruments, but if you're a bassist, then you can mute just the bass and play the bass part and play along with the, you know, all these tunes. And you can download more tunes. So basically, you have like a pocket band that plays along with you. It's like a studio setup. You have a studio band in your pocket for whatever you want to play. And And you can can also compose and put chords in it. And it, you know, it plays along with whatever chord changes there are. And it's pretty, pretty cool. That sounds amazing. Is it free? 
Uh, I think, yeah, there's a free version, but then there's the pro version that has, I guess, no ads or more features, you know. It, I mean, it sound, something like that sounds like something you would have to pay for just because of the what it's offering. Well, yeah, but uh, the whole story with the real book is that it's uh, it, uh, like a lot of people have photocopies of the book. You know, it's not like the real, real book that uh, people own. And it's been around for so long that it's kind of... And they're just charts uh, to uh, very um, famous tunes. So it's kind of... It's definitely not copyright free. But uh, people kind of just know those tunes because they're played every, at every jazz gig or, you know, at a bar. So that's cool. That's great. And we not only discovered a new app, but we learned a little something about you also. Oh, yeah. Which we didn't know. That's great. Next which, time I'll bring in my, my drum set. Okay. Well, maybe we can have you like play music going yeah. into the break on one of the upcoming episodes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That'd be great. Fantastic. So, Ilar, do you have an app that you like right now? Um, I, I don't really uh, spend too much time messing around with too many apps, but one of the ones that I really... Uh, use often is Twitter. Uh, it's a more traditional one, obviously, but it allows me to really keep up to date. And the real-time component of absorbing news and information makes it super simple for me. And again, keeps me up to date in terms of um, what's going on in the world. It also, I think, allows us, it's a great platform to uh, to tell stories. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in storytelling. So I'm a, so I guess more of a traditionalist in terms of that. Well, Twitter, you know, they're favorites for a reason. There's a reason why things stay at the top of the charts. <laughs> My app today actually comes via a listener on Twitter. TechBytes on Twitter is TechBytesHRN. And a listener, uh, Lauren Hudgens, suggested her favorite app is called the Merlin Bird Identification App from Cornell University which is very interesting. They have version for Android and for Apple. It's a free app. And it will identify over 2,000, more than 2,000 types of birds, either via the um, encyclopedia database. You can also identify something by taking a photo of it, which is just fascinating. And bird watching is not something that I do. And living in Manhattan, you don't see very many birds that you can't identify as a pigeon. But it's fascinating. You know, I think one of the great things about the internet and tech and app technology is that there really is something specific for everyone and sounds, everyone's interest. Yeah, sounds amazing. I've, uh, I'm going to check it out for sure. And yeah. definitely the, the music app. Are you a musician? I'm not. I'm not. Far from it. <laughs> but always, uh, always eager to learn new things. And uh, it definitely sounds interesting. So you also are the founder and CEO of an app, Slice Pizza App, on Twitter or at Slice on Instagram. The website is slicelife.com. The app's available on Google and iTunes. And it very simply is an app where you can order pizza. And that sounds so simple, but one of the things, one of the reasons why we really wanted to have Ilar come on the show and talk about Slice. There's a bunch of different reasons. But the, the first reason when we talk about the origin of the story and the company that he started back in 2010 is that he actually is from the pizza business. And so many of the apps that we talk about on this show and the technology that we talk about on this show, many, most of the founders are attacking a problem from the dining room side, from the consumer side. Right. So many of them 
It's a person who sits in a restaurant and has an experience and wants to make that experience better for themselves and for their fellow diners, which is great. Yeah. But it's attacking a problem from a very different point of view and attacking a restaurant problem from the inside as a restaurant owner, you have an extremely different point of view set of requirements and, and needs. And there's so few restaurant and hospitality tech being started by restaurant people that slice is a little bit of an anomaly and, and, and a good one at that. So back in 2010, when you were starting the business, what do you think fundamentally are some of the broad strokes of what you did yeah. being third generation pizza owner family? Yeah. Yeah. That and a pizza customer would not have seen or noticed or thought of. Yeah. I think it's uh, so it's a number of things. Um, uh, to your point, um, well, first off, I'm really excited to be here, and thank you for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I'm third generation, third generation in the industry. So my grandfather, my uncle, they've owned pizza pizza restaurants all the way dating back to the '70s. Even more more recently, they had a pizza restaurant here in Brooklyn on Fourth Avenue called John Anthony's. Uh, and then a lot of friends and family members own pizzerias, and I myself took a tech path, but really spent summers and. Obviously, literally grew up around pizza restaurants and inside some of these pizzerias. And when I set out to launch the business in 2010, the idea was really to support and help these local businesses, specifically in the pizza industry, to compete with some of the big chains. And, you know, whether it's Domino's or Papa John's or Pizza Hut, uh, the emergence of technology and digital ordering for those chains was literally transforming their businesses. And what I saw was, and it's also based on some of the feedback and some of the asks that friends and family had for me, um, I saw that they were kind of being left behind. So originally launched as a platform to help local small business pizza restaurants uh, be found online. So we would create these websites, publish them across the internet, and then started activating this sort of ordering component uh, to the menus, making them available strictly online. And, um, and that was around 2010 when we started the business back then was called My Pizza. It was MyPizza.com. Um, what I realized was within, I think, a couple of months, I had over 40 people, all who I was somehow related to, um, come to me <laughs> all asking... All in the pizza business? For, all in the pizza business. Um, all, all around the New York tri-state area, uh, asking for help uh, that was almost identical. And what were, they, what were the things that they were asking you for? Well... Um, Traditionally, you know, the majority of their, I mean, 100% of their business was flowing through the phone. Um, I think they are incredible students of their business. Uh, they take a lot of pride in what they do. And they started seeing a lot the emergence of online ordering, um, especially with some of the big chains. So watching commercials, you know, Papa John's or Domino's stopped advertising phone numbers. Everything was, you know, about ordering online. And um, so a lot of that was really you know, hey, can you help me build a website? Can you help me make sure people can find my website and my menu online? And um, uh, it, it started off that way, but really it was so consistent and the words were so similar that I realized um, that there was something uh, larger, bigger happening in the in the category. It forced me to really study the entire industry as a whole. And so as you know, a snapshot in 2010, what's happening in food delivery? Not not much. Um, in food delivery in 2010, and I, I launched the company out of Staten Island um, here in New York, 
not not much was happening in food delivery. I think looking back now and um, kind of doing some research, a company like Grubhub was just getting started. I think they had just raised a Series A round. Seamless, which was a B2B um, platform for corporate food ordering. It was eliminating a, a B2B pain point, was just kind of starting and launching their consumer-facing uh, business. Uh, at the time, they were called, I think, Seamless Web, uh, and then rebranded to Seamless. So it was super early in this entire um, sort of category. There was no Uber Eats or any one of these Uber logistics wasn't in companies. existence no, back then. No. And so it was really in 2010, really at the very, very beginning of online ordering in the online services. There were no really app delivery services yet. Yeah. And so up until that point, it was really the old school telephone. Call up your pizza place, order mm-hmm. your large pie, maybe a six-pack of soda, yep. and have them deliver. Exactly. Um, and the only ones that were really making a strong push uh, towards digital uh, and app were the big chains, Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's. Okay. So people are asking you to help them build websites. Mm-hmm. And also back then, I mean, building a website was still something that's, I mean, building a website today is still a mystery to many people. <laughs> it really is, yeah. And, you know, digital alchemy and people can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. So um, what was your initial solution then? Well, I realized that um, it's an interesting uh, category. The pizza industry is fascinating. It's it's a massive industry, but it's um, it's the smallest community you'll find. So it's it's pretty fascinating in that sense. And what I also realized is that pizzeria owners, small business pizzeria owners, uh, were a community. They, they in fact, don't even see each other uh, as competition in a sense, right? It's more of a camaraderie, c- community sort of component. And so what I real- realized was that, uh, you know, as more and more consumers were shifting and wanted convenience and were shifting to some of these big chain apps, I realized that there was an opportunity to create a platform uh, where you can go on and find all the best local pizza restaurants. Um, and you can do that in a very easy way, streamlined, um, super simple. And and the idea was to, and it still is our, our mission internally, and uh, we speak about this a lot, is uniting local pizza restaurants to work together so that we can together compete with some of the you know biggest chains in the world. Um, but one, as soon as I realized that all the needs were pretty similar, I created one platform, and that platform was so customized to their needs that it worked for basically every every pizzeria owner. So what were the components that made it specific to pizza versus a different type of, you know, fast casual delivery restaurant? Yeah, it's, um, well, a couple of things. Pizza restaurants, uh, local pizzerias especially, um, you know, their margins aren't the same as just any fast casual restaurant. Um, they use incredible sort of high quality ingredients. Uh, cheese is obviously a core component. Um, and the price of that is uh, consistently rising. And so the creating a solution that is uh, really fairly priced um, and takes into consideration the, the unit economics and the margins of the, of the individual pizzeria business, that was one of the first things that I tried to and did my best to solve for. And I think we've done that really better than anyone in the world. So one of the first things that you did was look at the economics of your customers and figure out how you could provide a service that was sympathetic to and worked within 
the financial constraints of your customers. Absolutely, of the, of the is, restaurants. Is, is that something, that's not really something that I've heard from other entrepreneurs. That I mean, certainly people are looking at the marketplace. They're mm-hmm. looking at what price points are the norm or what things can bear. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that they're looking at it quite from that much of a considerate, benevolent, you know, kind of point of view. Yeah, um, I'm not sure what the what the reason is behind that. But for me personally, one of the leading uh, and one of the core reasons behind that is that again, the my initial restaurant base was friends and family, and um, of course, you know, my goal was to be incredibly fair. Uh, but then the other component, as I looked at the industry in general, and one of the things that I really believe in is uh, driving value and studying the entire ecosystem. So, you know. Uh, businesses or applications or uh, products shouldn't really be built uh, with just by by thinking only of one side. Whether there's two sides or three sides or four sides, you really want to study the entire ecosystem and make sure you deliver value to the entire base. Uh, and I think for me, it naturally started on the restaurant side just because of my background and who I'm surrounded by and um, the way I grew up. Do you think that your process and point of view of thinking about, you know, being a support and counterpart to an industry versus viewing an industry as an opportunity simply to make money. Do you think you were ahead of the curve of what so many businesses are looking at now? I mean, today, eight years later, there's a strong um, public sentiment of the public wanting companies to be thoughtful about the way that they do business and that making money is not necessarily the end-all be-all anymore. And many larger companies that have been in existence for more than eight years are, you know, sort of making a pivot or saying, you know, now we're going to look at these things or do these Mm -hmm. things. You know, a good analogy would be so many of the uh, big food manufacturers are now pivoting away from things that are artificial and saying, now we're only natural ingredients yeah, or yeah. brand new, brand new formula, brand new product, all natural. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if um, I was super early in that sentiment or I didn't, I never really thought about it that way. For me, uh, and the um, thought process behind uh, launching the business the way I did and thinking through the entire ecosystem is it's not, I don't, I don't do anything for money first. I think, um, if you take into consideration value across the entire ecosystem. So if you bring something really valuable to the restaurants and it's got to provide true value, um, and you do that and you do the same thing on the consumer side and then potentially you do that on the supplier side. So some of the things we can do are, you know, going together with now over 8,000 restaurant owners, buying pizza boxes together that, you know, will bring a lot of value on that side as well. So you've almost created a uh, like pizza cohort or pizza union where you can have the economy of scale and the benefits of, of doing things in larger numbers. Exactly. And, and so absolutely. And so for, uh, for me, um, the question I ask you know, almost on a daily basis is, are we bringing value to all three components? And if we are, the business will do well. I'm not worried about that. It's all about delivering value. Um, so it shouldn't be flipped. Like It shouldn't be 
hey, let me start this business because I want to make, you know, a million dollars. And so let me figure out who I can go and trick into doing that uh, as fast as possible. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's a short game um, that, that doesn't have longevity. Well, what brings longevity is definitely, you know, support from your community. And as you say, you know, adding value and asking sort of the right series of questions. Um, you know, I also think that it's interesting that eight years in, you've just done some, and, and last year in 2017, you did a series B round of funding for 15 million, which is fantastic. You're hiring um, some very bold face names in your C-suite now. You're almost at the position though, where a lot of entrepreneurs, when they start their companies, they have exit strategies right. at three years, four mm-hmm. years, five years. Their goal is to reach a certain scale and then sell it to the highest bidder and exit and make money and start again. Yeah. That doesn't sound like exit is part of your plan. No, um, it's not about, um, I, I don't, we don't think about exit. We think about, uh, again, creating value for the whole ecosystem, which now includes our team members. And I think um, entrepreneurs sometimes maybe confuse exit with providing options and liquidity for the team members that have really contributed for years towards bringing all this value to the whole community. So um, this is not something that we're necessarily working on with a goal of selling the company by next year. Uh, One of my mentors is a really prominent CEO and founder and has been at it uh, with his business for a long time, since 2000. And I asked him this question. I was like, hey, I, I keep getting these questions, especially from some of the investors that are coming in as an, as an example. And the question is, um, so what's the exit strategy? And uh, I really got to a point where I didn't know how to answer this anymore because I don't think that way. And he said, hey, Lear, um, and if you disagree with me, let me know. But I've told all my investors that my uh, exit strategy is death. <laughs> um, <laughs> So this is what Retirement. we do, right? Yeah, I mean, this is what we do, right? So we do this until we we don't think we can do it better than anyone else in the world anymore. Um, so yeah, for us, it's uh, it's a long term game. Um, what I'm really excited about is that the investors that have partnered with us have a very similar mentality. It's all about uh, delivering long term value to the whole community. Um, so yeah, we're we're literally just getting started, and we are going to get started and take a look a little bit at the Heritage Radio Network ecosystem. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. We are supported entirely by our listeners, members, underwriters, and grants who think that all these conversations are important to have and important to keep and important to continue having. So we're going to take a quick break to find out who our amazing underwriter is for this episode. Stay with us. We'll be back soon. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. 
Whole Foods Market, whatever makes you whole. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. Do you have a favorite piece of food tech that you love, an app that you just can't get enough of? If you do, let us know. We are super interactive and we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at TechBytesHRN, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, if you want to send us an email, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org, we would love to hear from you. Today, we are hearing from Iliar Sella, who is the founder of the Slice Pizza app, which is just a fascinating, wonderful, amazing story. I mean, just starting with perhaps pizza being the greatest invention, then the <laughs> app to get the pizza to you would be perhaps greatest invention number two. If you want to learn more about him, you can follow him on social media at I-L-I-R-S-E-L-A on Twitter and Instagram. The Slice Life app, slicelife.com. You can follow them on Twitter at Slice Pizza app and on Instagram at Slice. It's a fascinating company. And part of the reason why we are having him on the show today is so few restaurant people create apps and start food tech, even though, you know, you can make the argument that they're the group that could potentially benefit the most. And they are one of the groups that are, you know, potentially harmed the most by restaurant tech. And, you know, we did an episode, um, episode 31, it was called Are Delivery Services Bad for Restaurants? And we had two independent restaurant owners from New York City talking about Seamless and other of the big delivery services. And what I think was a surprise to most of the listeners was Seamless was really detrimental to their businesses. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can speak to that. Um, and I, I try not to point fingers because I think, um, you know, it's, it's business models that are created, and then obviously you have to continue to feed that um, "quote unquote" animal. But um, we don't focus too much on Seamless and Uber Eats and some of these um, delivery apps. A um, couple of things uh, for Slice as an example: we are a tech data marketing platform for pizza restaurants. Uh, it's not specific to just delivery. Uh, pizzerias, for the most part, have their own delivery drivers. Um, we allow consumers to also order for pickup. Our goal is really to help pizzerias transition their business towards digital. And that's incredibly important for local pizzerias because it will allow them to continue to compete in the, uh, in the business ecosystem. So, so uh, what, what makes your service different from another aggregator service? Because on, you know, for the, from the consumer point of view, mm-hmm. Um, they all kind of look the same. It's an app. You create an account. You plug your information in. You can get yeah. it. Um, from the restaurant side, on the surface, it seems the same. It's a platform. It allows you web space, a footprint, the transactional piece of it. Mm-hmm. What are the differences under the hood that make one yeah. 
different, beneficial, less beneficial than the other? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we are tackling the pizza industry, obviously, uh, with a really hyper focus around it. And uh, we've studied all the different uh, behaviors on both the restaurant and the consumer side. Uh, so first and foremost, our application, our platform, whether you go on our iOS, Android apps or SliceLife.com, it's a loyalty first approach. What we know is that people across America, and uh, that's also very critical, we're not necessarily just um, glued to some of the most densely populated areas like Manhattan or New York City. We have a presence in basically over 2,200 municipalities around the country. But the And natu- really what American city doesn't have pizza? Exactly. I mean, pizzerias <laughs> are the cornerstone of um, every single one of these neighborhoods. And uh, so what we learned was that people have their local favorites and um, they don't necessarily switch too much. It's kind of like uh, for me, like my barber shop. I don't try a different one every time I need a haircut. Um, and so what we found is consumers are locked into their local favorite. And our job is to make that experience incredibly effortless and uh, delightful and, and so on. And for the owners, it's about driving efficiency. So um, as an example, a pizzeria for whom the majority of their orders are now passing through the digital channel, uh, like Slice, uh, they don't have these uh, incredible costs of having four or five phone lines, um, making a ton of mistakes in terms of food take, uh, food order taking. Um, and so we streamlined that whole process. Um, we also discovered that uh, we have the ability to kind of help promote more items from the menu to the consumer. So on Slice, consumers are ordering a lot more food than if they would if they uh, if they called the restaurant. Uh, so there's a number of different things happening that are beneficial to both the consumer and the restaurant side that we champion. And to do that, we have this really low flat fee take rate. Uh, so basically, we charge restaurants a $2 per order um, uh, fee. But for that, they get the entire technology platform, uh, all the customer service. We handle every conversation with consumers that have, whether changes to the order or have trouble uh, with the delivery or whatnot. So we onboard all of those uh, requests. And then the most important component really is the marketing or the or the reminders uh, to consumers post-order. So, you know, Technology and platforms, um, I'll, be, I'll be honest, they're starting to become a dime a dozen. It's a commodity. Uh, I can go and find an online ordering solution by just closing my eyes and just pointing in any direction. Uh, that's not the challenge that restaurants face. It's the data that comes with that. So as you shift consumer behavior to digital, what do you do with all that data? How do you communicate with your customers? How do you distribute valuable coupons and specials that you're excited about. We handle all of that full service from A to Z. And we don't charge a monthly fee or anything to do that. Um, So basically, if I summarize it, we're delivering value on the consumer side uh, to consumers in terms of efficiency and convenience and and value. To the restaurant, we handle their entire digital platform from A to Z and increase the value of their customers. We increase order frequency. We increase, obviously, average order values. Um, so it's a win-win situation for, for both sides. So to unpack that a little bit, just to you know provide a counterpoint and a frame of reference, an, a service like a Grubhub or a Seamless is going to charge a restaurant a percentage mm-hmm. of the order value. Yeah. 
And those percentages can be anywhere from 10 or 12% all the way up to 25 or 30%. Yes, 35%. Yeah. And that, for all intents and purposes, is the profit margin of a restaurant business. Most restaurant businesses are, are on razor-thin profit margins. So in many exactly. instances, a service that's charging a percentage, the restaurant is actually... It's costing the restaurant money. Yeah, basically what's happening is the the value that restaurants are supposed to be receiving from shifting the business to digital, which, which is, is important. Which is primarily marketing. Many of the platforms mm-hmm. now are promoted less as an actual order system and more as a marketing system. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And for, for, let's say, local pizzerias, they're supposed to be getting value as their business transitions to digital. But really, when you have 35%, 35% fees, that value isn't going to the restaurant. So as an example, the, the, the take we have is, you know, and uh, a customer comes in and places a $200 order on Slice for a local pizzeria. The, the work that we did to onboard that order and um, empower that customer to place that order really is the same whether the order was $200 or, or 15 So... How do we justify? Why would we? Why would we? Why would we charge the pizzeria sixty or seventy dollars for that order? We still only charge two dollars, and so what happens is the the benefit and the value add from these digital orders is being directly passed to the restaurants, and that's not happening with aggregators. So with ag- with aggregators, the interesting thing is that many times that the even if you are supporting your local restaurant down the block from you and you're ordering through an aggregator, the profitability is actually not going to your local restaurant. It's no. going to wherever corporate headquarters are yep. for the aggregator, which a lot of people I don't think realize. No, I, I don't know if they do. And um, I think that's the, that's the component that we're trying to uh, educate and empower the consumer with, especially with our um, um, outdoor um, marketing campaign. And... Um, I mean, I think that's something that we should all be conscious of. Uh, we can we can place orders on aggregators all day long, but what we're really doing is taking profit away from the small businesses. The second component of that is we're raising the prices of the food that we consume. Um, in order for local small businesses to compete, what they've been doing, especially in the pizza industry, is driving up the price of the of the pizza. Right. So, if you go to Manhattan today, or even in Brooklyn, and you want to order a large cheese pizza. Ten years ago, maybe that was nine dollars, ten dollars, twelve dollars most. Um, and obviously, you've had inflation for the last ten years. But if you want to order a large pizza today, you'll be paying twenty four, twenty six, sometimes thirty dollars. I mean, that's to me, that's insane. Um, in a category where value matters uh, for local pizzerias, they've been driving up the prices to make up for the take rates. And then you have the big chains like Domino's. And Papa John's, who haven't raised prices in 12 years, they've maintained the same price. And what's happening is consumers who want value are now continuing to shift towards the big chains. So 10 years ago, or eight years ago in 2010, when you started your business, what you were hearing primarily from pizza owners was wanting to make the transition into the digital space, to get a website, to get online ordering. What are the things that you're hearing today from your more than 
thousand pizza restaurants across the country. What what's top of mind for them now that they're asking you to provide? Yeah, um, so it depends. So in in the larger municipalities or, or metros, they are basically just kind of begging to kind of win back their industry. So um, they're trying back their industry. Yeah, win back their industry because. Uh, these aggregators have become sort of necessary evils. Uh, they want to unplug, but they're afraid if they do that the consumers won't be there anymore to order from you know order their food. So when you say win back the industry, are you referring to taking business back from the really big chains like the Domino's and the Papa John's? Or are you Both. talking about taking the business back from the Seamlesses and the Grubhubs? Both. Both. Um, Really, both, and it depends on the location. So, in Manhattan, Domino's and Papa, these these um, big chains don't really have a huge presence. But as soon as you go across the river to New Jersey, as an example, and then the rest of the country, the big chains have a big chunk of the of the industry. Uh, but in the more dense urban areas like New York, it's really taking back the industry from some of the aggregators because, again, I mean these fees you're talking about. You know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month in fees going to Seamless and Grubhub. That's amazing. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of money for a pizzeria. It is. Uh, it is definitely a lot of money, and I think one of the challenges for them is they love the uh, the demand at the what we call top of the funnel meetings of consumers who are placing orders. They'd like that, but what they're finding is they're working three times as hard, have hired three times the staff, and at the end of the month, there's less money left over than. When they were a third of the a third of the staff and selling the third of the of the food, so how do you how is Slice answering that question or how what's your strategy to help the independent pizza owners take back their industry? Yeah, our, our goal is to obviously uh, empower the local pizza restaurants with this data and information uh, and business knowledge, and we're doing that in a in a with a united front. So we're basically aggregating the data from over 8,000 restaurants to identify where, you know, these local pizzerias need to play in terms of so pricing how, and whatnot. How do you actually do that from a marketing and a business and a CEO point of view? I can understand, you know, analyzing data mm-hmm. to sort of maximize your, your revenue and resources. But on a really practical level, when you walk into your local pizza shop, how are you actually helping or educating or making the pizza owner more comfortable with even the whole concept of data? Because it's very, very different. I mean, the concept of utilizing data to that degree is different. Restaurants have been utilized data all the time in terms of like Saturday night, we sell more pepperoni, Mm -hmm. you know, daytime football, we sell more beer, you know, they have sort of the broad strokes of being able to track things. But the minutia of digital data and CRM is very different. It is very different, and uh, our you know mission and vision, and one of our core values is simplicity and uh, being smart. And so we try to really simplify everything and um, communicate it via our technology platforms um, with every single order or with their statements that we send out. We have a monthly newsletter that goes out to every single one one of our partners with best practices, and so. And we continue to build on that, but there is an entire team working on an education um, component. Uh, that's one of our goals: is to empower local owners with uh, with all of this data and information. And then on the consumer side, bring awareness 
um, to the consumer in terms of what their uh, sort of behavior is uh, is causing. But also, we don't want it to be sort of this, you know, quote unquote, charity case. Uh, so we're building a world class platform user experience for the consumer who can order pizza in a way or order from pizzerias in a way that is unmatched by any other aggregator. And we can do that because we're hyper-focused around this one food category. So there's a pizza builder. You can choose toppings for the left or the right side. Um, We're offering discounts and free delivery and all these things. And so really it's not just about, you know, asking consumers to come in just because of the um, uh, important component of, uh, of supporting small businesses, but it's also critical that we deliver with a world-class user experience for for the end consumer, and I think, and we're we're doing both. We're early, but uh, we're definitely uh, getting a lot of traction on both ends of the spectrum. Do you need to be making Super Bowl commercials and advertising on TV the same way the big chains do in order to get sort of maximum market penetration for every? You know, every time someone sees a Domino commercial, should they yeah. be should be counterbalancing that with a slice commercial? Uh, you never know. You never know what the future holds. But our our goal is to represent local pizza in a global scale, uh, but obviously first on a national level. So we we represent all these local independents, um, and what we've done is things like we went to Google and we have a, a business development team that works on partnerships, and we have a direct partnership with Google. So that anytime a local pizzeria partners with Slice, the capability of ordering directly from Google becomes enabled, like, like, a, like a light switch. Uh, we went to Facebook and did the same thing. So these are platforms where an individual pizza restaurant it, it has no ability to go to Facebook and create a partnership where... It'd be extremely difficult. Yeah. And so, so we're representing these local pizzerias on a national scale Initially, with partnerships, we're obviously doing a lot of marketing and uh, uh, storytelling, obviously, and we're getting our uh, our name out there on behalf of these restaurants. Uh, and then down the line, yeah, I mean, the goal is to continue to champion local independent restaurants. Do you think of yourself as a disruptor? Do you think of Slice as a disruptor to the delivery industry and these other things? Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I don't get too caught up with labels. Um, our, we're just, I've been hyper-focused and we as a team have been really focused on, um, accomplishing our goal and our mission and supporting the local businesses. Uh, we don't get too concerned with what others are doing, if they're doing well or not. I mean, look, I don't really wish bad on, on anyone. I think, um, I hope for everyone to succeed, but our goal is, um, around this one category, specifically the local side of it. And, um, yeah, we're just, we're just kind of, you know, going about our, our own way and, um, uh, focusing on the problem at hand. Well, the problem at hand right now is that we've run out of time. (laughs) (laughs) That flew by, but yeah, we've run out of time. And, and possibly if you've been listening to the show, the other problem you might be having is that now you want to eat pizza, which lucky for us, we're sitting in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I have my eye on this uh, pie across yeah, from us. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> what you can't see listening on radio is that the studio has a plate glass window that looks onto the Roberta's, one of the Roberta's dining rooms, and there is a table for two pressed right up against the window, and there is a couple eating 
what looks like a margarita pizza to me. Yeah, it looks like the world's most delicious margarita yes, pizza. Absolutely. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna close down the show and go and get some of that. Before we do, I want to let you all know about a few events happening in real life. Next week, our guest is going to be James Brisconi, who is the author of The Flavor Matrix. You may have seen him on Food Network or Dr. Oz. He's a culinary instructor at the ICE Culinary School in New York City. He will be at the 92nd Street Y in Manhattan next Tuesday, March 6th at 7 p.m. talking about his book with Ted Allen. And if you don't have a chance to make that in real life, he will be our guest on next week's live episode. Another great event coming up in March. This one is hosted by Heritage Radio Network. So you think you know Mezcal. Sponsored by Sacred, Saving Agave for Culture, Recreation, Education, and Development. That will be a wonderful tequila night on Thursday, March 22nd at 630 at Heritage Radio Network HQ at 100 Bogart. That's $25 a person. We will post links to all these events on our social media so you can go and check it out. I want to thank Iliar for coming out and talking about Slice. It's a great story. Um, you know, it's important to know, we talk about transparency and food, where our food comes from. And where your food comes from also means delivery and how it got from the people who made it to your front door. And it's worth taking a look under the hood at some of your favorite convenience apps and see if you truly are supporting the neighborhood spot that you love and the neighborhood restaurant that has been such an important part of your community, or if you're supporting some you know, big HQ out there in Chicago. It's worth knowing. I hope you come back and see us next week. Tech Bytes is broadcast live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Heritage Radio Network. It is hosted and produced by me, Jennifer Leutzi. Our regular engineer is David Tadashore. Today, our engineer is Vitor Hirsch. Our theme song is Nomad, a CPU track by DJ Uptown Nico. If you like the show, come back and see us next week. If you love it, go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. Subscribe, like, give us a great review. If you can't live without it, go to heritageradionetwork.org. Click the beating heart. Make a donation. Maybe what you spent on pizza this week. It'll help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. I'm Jennifer Leitze, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? 
probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.